Hey listeners, welcome to episode 67 of the Various and Sundry podcast. This week's episode is a little different because John and I are actually going to be at the Gospel Coalition Conference in Indianapolis. And so we are posting as this week's episode a takeover episode that we did of the Grace Story podcast, which is a podcast you can find uh, that our institution does, in which John and I take over the podcast and we interview our good friend Zach Hess, or as he's known on the podcast, Zach from Ohio. So we hope you enjoy this episode. You can also find the video of this episode on our YouTube channel, so we encourage you to check that out. Enjoy. Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. But I am not your host, Drew Flam. I am Matt Harmon, joined in studio by my good friend, my colleague, and the man who... Could not get out of his driveway yesterday morning. I couldn't. John no. Scott Sloat. Doc, this is not our podcast. This is not our podcast. This what, is the. What are we even doing? We we are 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 executing a a takeover. This is a takeover episode. We are uh, ho- co-hosts of the Various and Sundry podcast, and we have been asked. We were invited to invited. take over. The Grace Story Podcast. So we should probably introduce ourselves a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm Matt Harmon. I've been here at Grace for, that's my 15th year. I teach in the uh, School of Ministry Studies here at Grace College and Theological Seminary. I teach New Testament. I teach Greek. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, John? Yeah, so I've been at the, I also work at the seminary. Uh, I've been, goodness, how long have I been at the seminary? Three years now. And, uh, and I recruit and develop students in uh, master's degrees uh, that want to do their undergrad and master's degrees together um, and get those more efficiently. Uh, so the blended program is what we call that here. Um, I also do some teaching in church history as well as uh, uh, introductory Greek. Um, so we obviously work side by side quite a bit. Yes, we do. Um, but one of, one of the most exciting parts of my week, at least, is that you and I sit down once a week. Uh, and record a podcast called Various and Sundry, uh, a conversation between friends uh, uh, about theology, ministry, Bible, culture, and of course, sports, uh, something we discuss. So if you're a listener to this podcast and you love the Great Story podcast, but you're like, ooh, all those things sound interesting to me, head over to Apple, download us. We're also on YouTube. Uh, We have a Facebook page, uh, Twitter uh, page as well, so you can find us in all those places. Yeah, we'd love to uh, to have you uh, become part of the Various and Sundry podcast community, but we have someone else in the studio with us as well, so it's probably a good idea to introduce our guest. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So we have the privilege today of introducing our good friend uh, on the podcast known as Zach from Ohio. That's right. So he yeah. gets a few shout-outs here and there, but his full name is Zach Hess. He is a 2010 graduate of Grace College and a 2013 graduate of Grace Theological Seminary. So I like to say he did the blended program before the blended program was a thing. When it was wildly inefficient and took uh, uh, se- like seven to think, years. I like to think of myself as a pioneer. And yeah, efficient <laughs> as a s- seven instead of five years. That was great. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So Zach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here with you. 
And uh, Zach is is a good friend of ours. Zach, you actually uh, were in school with John. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, John, our friendship goes back to probably freshman or sophomore year, then especially junior, senior year. We were doing stuff in the same youth ministry together in a local church, Mm -hmm. had some classes together, connections. And then um, day of again, worship, day, and then, yeah, day so worship the day of worship, together. which still happens at, at Grace, I believe, yeah, right? Yes, yeah. right? So put together a coordinating team, and John was part of that for a couple of years, and that was probably where our friendship really began to take uh, shape. But then in seminary was probably where that really that friendship really deepened and developed. And John, I think, we're you know John's one of my best friends, certainly now. Yeah, uh, I got married uh, this last year for mm-hmm. the for the Grace Story podcast. Uh, if uh, <laughs> If, Congratulations, by yeah, the way. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, if uh, Way to say that publicly, even though we've said that in private like a thousand times. Um, anyway, <laughs> but uh, if we w- if we had a, had a pandemic wedding, Zach mm-hmm. would have been my best man. So, And John was invited yeah, that's right. to my wedding. I'm pretty sure he even RSVP'd. I don't think I RSVP'd. Okay, well, yeah. he was still on no-show regardless. Yeah, I, I didn't go. We've There's not no for, disputing. Sarah yeah. and I have not forgotten that. <laughs> Yes, yes. That uh, I, I do remember that, that the, the circumstances. But so, Zach, tell us a little about your mm-hmm. family. Yeah, yeah. So Sarah and I have been married for almost eleven years. So we got married uh, right after I graduated. Um, we have three kids. So Jake is six and should be at kindergarten right now as we speak. So he's loving that. Um, our second child is Caroline, who just recently turned four, and she is the the fireball of the family. Lots of fun, um, very has sweet, that beautiful curly hair. Lots yeah. of curly hair. It's wonderful for dad to brush. It that does not go so well, um, but yeah, she she's great and is um, yeah she's our real energetic child. And then Kate, our newest, is almost eight months old. So, And she's been our easiest kid so far. I don't know if our kids understand that she's the easiest, but she loves her siblings and is smiling and sitting up and growing a lot. So we're having a lot of fun. Good. So tell us a little bit about your current ministry mm-hmm. role. Yeah. So I'm at Grace Pillars Church in um, the Westerville, Northern Columbus area. Affectionately known on our podcast as The Mothership. The Mothership, yeah. <laughs> so right there in uh, you know Columbus, Ohio, um, we were, our church has been around for almost 60 years in that area and is, you know, was a um, uh, really influential church in the region to start churches in, uh, in that area and has continued to serve, I think, as an as a influential um, church within our fellowship um, as well. So my role, I started there um, kind of in the middle of, or at the end of seminary, then right after seminary in, in 13, um, was the young adults pastor there for several years. So working with college students, young professionals, doing a lot of premarital counseling as well, doing a lot of, you know, officiating several weddings a year. And then over the last couple of years, that's transitioned to what we call as the training pastor, which is a glorified title for an associate pastor. And it kind of <laughs> identifies what I do with, you know, as training, I say, you know, I teach people the Bible and how to read it for themselves. I teach people the gospel and how to share it with others. So that comes in classes and small groups, training programs um, that you guys have both uh, been so kind to come and teach a session of. Um, so you've been able to see a little bit of what I do kind of on a regular basis. And then I also direct our pastoral internship program and our pastoral residency. So this is taking guys, you know, who are in similar situations as what John and I were, you know, coming out of seminary, looking for opportunities, have a lot of knowledge, but under-experienced. So trying to, you know, we, um, I've heard as some people describe a church internship program like a, an ecclesiological boot camp where we want to kind of 
you know, immerse somebody into the life and ministry of the local church. What are we going for is what does a healthy church really look like that's on mission, making disciples, preaching the word, faithfully, you know, reaching a community for Christ and discipling their believers so that a young guy can see that and then be more equipped to go be a pastor um, somewhere else. So I'm, I love that aspect of my job and have a lot of fun with it. And that's how you and I have been able to right. partner even uh, even into uh, even into our now early 30s. Right, uh, yeah. Yeah, because... you, you've been instrumental in making that program go. Yeah, you guys yeah. Are so old. Yeah, we're so, we're so old. Yeah, so old. Yeah, we're uh, we're knocking on death's door. Uh, you know? it's, we're... it's you know mid thirties is getting rough. Yeah, sure. it's I've noticed some weight gain for myself, not for you. Um, <laughs> Try to maintain a, a balance. Yeah, diet yeah. It's uh, it's been a, it's been tough getting old. But on that issue, you know, yeah, the the blended program in particular has been wonderful. Um, it's it's set up really well actually for a residency or an intern. You know, for someone who's in their you know third, fourth, fifth year table, you know they have a lot of theological knowledge. They've been given great tools. I think you know, you know, Dr. Harmon, you represent. I think even for John and I, a, a teacher who showed us what, how can we be fruitful in the local church? And yet, seminary doesn't train you for the life of the local church. It's not supposed to. It's, I don't think that's its mm-hmm. design. But good internships and residencies are a way of again getting guys these opportunities to see how do I take what I'm learning in New Testament theology or in Hebrew exegesis, and now apply that to the life of the church. They're not disconnected between the two. We don't need to hard drive this hard line between these two worlds. We actually see the blend. And I think one of the fun things for me is to watch these guys wrestle with various case studies or subjects or to sit you know, on the outside of meetings and go, wow, I can see how this makes a difference. So out of our, you know, out of our uh, interns, um, the majority of them have been Grace students or grads. And so this partnership between, you know, Grace Polaris Church and Grace Theological Seminary is really important to us and has proved, I think, uh, continues to prove really effective. Yeah. John, why don't you take just a brief, maybe like 30 seconds to describe for our uh, listeners and viewers what the blended program is so that uh, we shouldn't assume necessarily that yeah. that everyone knows what, what we mean we say blended program. Yeah. So when we say blended at Grace, that means uh, during your undergraduate education, setting aside time and classes in order to work on a master's degree, uh, in order to uh, in order to prepare, prepare yourself for a life of ministry. Um, so that means taking systematic theology, taking historical theology, while uh, you're still in your undergrad, um, and uh, and doing it in a more efficient way than Zach and I did, where we each took uh, seven years to get through, uh, taking four or five years to get through. Yeah, it's very much designed to help accelerate the pace of, of theological education mm-hmm. so that uh, it saves uh, students a lot of money down the road. Thousands. Yes. For- Forty plus thousand dollars. It's incredible the mm-hmm. amount of savings that come through a program like the Blended Program. Yes, and and we are grateful for uh, churches like Grace Polaris who partner with us because one component of that is uh, essentially an internship requirement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I couldn't agree more, Zach. That too often there's there's this perception of a tension between the academy or yeah. the seminary and the church as if they're competing. Right. When in reality, I think. Both are needed. Mm-hmm. There are things that the seminary is best positioned to teach and train young people for mm-hmm. ministry, whereas the church is also better positioned to give certain kinds of experience and pastoral uh, opportunities that often are not really feasible for the seminary to provide. So it needs to be a partnership between right. the two. Right. I remember as I was, um, I had finished my 
um, undergrad degree in biblical studies and was then going to planning you know, to go to three years of seminary. And I remember being warned about like, don't let your spiritual life dry up in mm. seminary because there was this, I think, and, and, and for some people that had been the case, you know, I think this in whether, for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, local churches typically don't do, you know, don't teach Greek and Hebrew on an introductory level. Um, uh, there's not a, there's not always the place because pastoral ministry is oftentimes, you know, trying to apply the word into the lives of people. You get caught up in a lot of pastoral situations that kind of don't allow for the kind of kind of robust biblical theological discussion that seminaries are really supposed to have. And with experts, you know, in New Testament and Old Testament and, and theology, you know, that's just a, it's a world, it's not meant to be forever, you know, for most people, but it is a, it's a world and a training opportunity that you can't replicate outside, you know, oftentimes in the local church. So I'm thankful for a robust partnership in a school like Grace that has always emphasized the local church. Um, you know, I remember you talking about in your classes, you know, whatever benefit to the academy that my writing or uh, my teaching has, that's that's kind of a, a, a secondary aspect. We want to be, you know, training people and benefiting the local church as priority. And I think that's a, a great goal that, you know, this institution particularly has. So, Zach, let's talk a little bit about uh, maybe some specific ways that your education here at Grace, both your undergrad and your time here in the in the seminary, prepared you for the kind of ministry you're doing day in and day out today. It took me probably just a few months to say, I can't imagine being in the local church without my MDiv. Hmm. And that wasn't because I felt like I got some kind of special knowledge necessarily, but it equipped me with maybe not even the answer. I've, I've said, you know, it's not – seminary wasn't a – like a walk through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, where you m- memorized books of the Bible. And and there's a benefit to programs like that, but it taught me to think theologically and to think biblically so that when I encountered a pastoral or a theological issue in the local church, I was able to – I had the, the categories to be able to think through those things, even if I didn't immediately have the answer. So it, it trained a person. I think it, it shaped me to be able to to be the kind of person who could think through those kinds of issues, to find the answer, to be re- and, and to be well researched and thoughtful about how I would approach various topics. So I think just from a formative standpoint, it was spiritually formational. Just out of a you know, it tested me, it tried me, it it gave me just an experience in the Word that. I'm just so thankful for. And then especially those tools that without the MDiv, I'm not sure I would have been able as equipped um, uh, to make it happen. So again, thinking through you know, just um, how does biblical theology relate to systematic theology, for instance, and like shaping through how do we teach these kinds of things? Or you're wrestling with a person who even says, um, you know, I want to grow in my prayer life. The question I just recently encountered well, not that you have to have seminary training to be able to answer those things, but I think the seminary training did equip me well to feel, you know, to be prepared with an answer, as even Peter talks about. Gotcha. Uh, Zach, could you could you talk about what the process for you considering going to seminary was? Yeah. What, what was that process like? And what do you tell guys that are uh-huh. thinking about uh, ministry in general? And what's some advice you give to right. them? Yeah, so so growing up in the Grace Brethren Fellowship, Grace College and Seminary was, as far as I knew, the only Christian in- institution and seminary <laughs> that even existed. Um, so like for me, obviously, Grace had a, you know, it was a, it was a heritage. My parents went here. Um, my pastors were Grace Seminary grads. So it, like for me, it was, 
you want to be a pastor, you go to Grace Seminary, which, um, and I'm, I'm thankful that it limited, limited my options. Grace was the only school I even applied to. Huh. And, um, but I, uh, you know, in high school, kind of since this call to ministry, um, met Dave Plaster, you know, former academic dean and, and professor here um, at um, um, youth conference that summer, um, um, uh, earned a scholarship through some interview process with that. And that just God continued to lead to, you know, going in. I even switched. I was intending to be a secondary education major when I showed up, but I think my first day on campus, I switched to biblical studies because it <laughs> nice. was just, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was just, God continued to open up those kinds of doors and just, um, you know, so I think part of it was that call to ministry was, I, I want to be trained. I want to be equipped and I want that opportunity. I didn't go to a, a Christian school, so I didn't have formal Bible classes like on an academic level. So it didn't take long for me to get even in the, you know, kind of gen ed Bible classes to be just, I'm loving this. This is exactly what I sensed I wanted to do. And uh, because, you know, kind of going back to how did this, how did seminary equip me for the local church ministry? It was, where else do you get like this kind of narrow focus to be in the word, to be Hmm. talking about you know, theology to be talking about how we understand the Bible, how we teach the Bible. So I just, I, I think it just, I ate it up because it was just, you know, this is, if this is what I want to do with my life, why wouldn't I spend extra time um, being trained for it? I, you know, if we applied, sometimes we apply these kinds of things, to the pastoral ministry that we don't to other spheres, like a, a teacher, for instance, you know, with, with someone who's going to be a, a first grade teacher, a, a, a middle school teacher, a high school teacher, we expect them to have formal education that has trained them in theory and practice that they've had a student teaching that has helped. They've been able to apply that some places, but in pastoral ministry, sometimes we just kind of go, Oh, you'll figure that out as you go. (laughs) Or I remember even thinking this or other students were, I just want to get in the ministry and go in like no, in no other field of study. Do we typically just say, you'll just figure it out. So formal training, I think is is actually a a really important aspect of it. Cause again, it, teaches us to think, not just what to think. And not that that's not an important aspect of it either, but I just think these, you know, that narrow focus specific time of, of life is really important for a lifetime of faithful and fruitful ministry. Was there, uh, when you came to Grace, was it always just, I'm going to go to seminary or, or did that develop over time? Yeah. So I remember a conversation with Dave Plaster. So as when he, as he was my mentor and, um, and I, I was terrified of the languages, okay? And, sure. And that was, certainly wasn't my gift still even in seminary. But I remember it's like, you know, there's so many other resources out there. Is seminary really necessary? And he said, just do it. And, <laughs> and, and he said with the, the, the professors that are there now, they're, it's, you know, they're, they're training pastors to be able to use the languages in ways that will benefit their ministry. And he said, once, you're, like, once you get your MDiv, essentially you'll have – virtually anything that you really need. You can always go back later, you know, for more stuff. Um, but uh, um, he was the one who probably, who said, just do it now while you're younger. Mm-hmm. Um, get it. And I remember, you know, John, remember what, having classes with the guys who were married with families and just, that was challenging, you know, and oh, that yeah. world, to, to be able to go full time in a seminary, you know, it's one thing to be taking a class or two, like, but to be able, those guys who were doing it full time were in a, just a challenging world. It was beneficial for them, but I think just to get it done was really helpful because it helped lay a good foundation. And then to be able to come back to stuff later on, I think has been has proven fruitful. Yeah. So Zach, mm-hmm. you've you've mentioned some of the ways that uh, classwork uh, helped you to prepare for ministry. As you think back to your time in seminary, what were some of the 
non-classroom mm-hmm. experiences that were formative uh, in, in your experience. Yeah. Well, and these are the things you can't put like in a price tag necessarily, <laughs> you know, but I, when you look back, these are the more formative, probably even the more formative things. Um, I think about, you know, um, two things that stick out was, you know, John and Brent Mancarelli and I, you know, oftentimes after class, multiple times a week, you know, grabbing a cup, grabbing a pot of coffee, actually. <laughs> and uh, we would spend hours discussing what we were learning, how we were growing and stretching. We'd ch- we would challenge one another, even in those things. And I think there was that sharpening aspect of outside the classroom where you might even like, I don't know if you were doing this intentionally, but you might start an argument that we would have later. <laughs> <laughs> I can either confirm or deny that, that accusation. And so, so I think the, the, the camaraderie with, you know, and those friendships that have continued as part mm-hmm. of that, I think are the, never could I have imagined those kinds of opportunities. And then mentor group in your home in the relationship with, with, with you and other faculty, one of the things about a school like, like Grace that allows for that, that invites that kind of faculty and student interaction. I thrived in a situation like that. I, I, I wouldn't have done well in a larger group where I wouldn't have been able to, you know, I, I can think of a number of times where I would go up, but what was McLean, the third floor of McLean, and knock on just someone's door with a question. And it was un, unplanned, no appointment made. Um, but that kind of relationships were, were, were vital and again, have remained. Um, but I think, you know, mentor group in your home, um, spending time with you and your family. Often staying out uh, way, way, way later late than we intended. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Doc. And <laughs> no but, worries. It was worth it. <laughs> but a lot of those formative decisions, like I remember, you know, talking about proposing to Sarah in your guys' basement. Yep. I remember, you know, you allowed us to do our laundry there when we were <laughs> when we were newlyweds uh, or um, just, you know, various uh, talking through transitions, all those important things that are going on in that phase of life. Yeah. I can think about, you know, the mentor group allowed for to foster that kind of relationship. So along with those friendships and then, you know, I remember, you know, golfing with Tiberius Ratza, you know, and, and spending time together and yeah. he's been able to, we maintain a relationship. And so those are the kinds of things that I look back on it. My favorite memories, you know, maybe if not even probably one or two things that I shouldn't talk about because it's, you know, foot and mouth disease that I can often have. And you guys, you know, are remembering those things too. Yeah. There are stories that are for the pod and stories that are for off yes. the pod. Yeah. But so, Outside of even some of those specific things, it's the what the the tone, the relationships that are really formative here that I'm just again praise God for. Well, towards the end of your uh, seminary education, you had some uh, some significant circumstances that are pretty unique when it mm-hmm. comes to uh, just with your family and that sort of thing. So I I wanted to have you tell a little mm-hmm. bit about. What that last year mm-hmm. of seminary was like, in light of more importantly, what was going on yep. uh, in your family? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even to lead up to that, um, so Dave Plaster, who, who I've already mentioned, you know, he, um, Sarah, and I were uh, you know, getting married in May of 2010. He passed away, you know, relatively suddenly in March of that year. So you know, really important mentor to me. And uh, so that kind of, that's how I was ending college and starting seminary was already a little bit with that loss. And I remember being in even Dr. Ratz's Genesis class and how just providentially what we were going through in Genesis was so helpful for me hmm. in, in processing um, that loss. Sarah and I got married in in May. 
um, we all went to Israel together. Yes, in, we, in, we Jan- did. In January yeah. of 11, yes. right? That was such a great That trip. was a great trip. I forgot trip. about that. Yep. Yeah, you're right. That one of the best pictures of that is actually you and I overlooking the yeah, Sea of Galilee, that's right? right. Right there at Capernaum. <laughs> yeah. And uh, well then, so that was in January. And then in March of 2011, so it'll be 10 years ago, actually, just in a, mm. in a month, Sarah's dad was diagnosed with brain cancer. And... Um, and and that so that was right in the middle of then of seminary and so we at you know immediately just kind of like launched us into this um, pretty deep dark suffering and and struggle we were you know traveling back and forth a lot just to to visit and help out with family and then as his condition continued to worsen we made the decision to move back to Columbus um, I had I think it was like a year left I think I had two semesters left to finish. Um, when we did that, um, along those lines, something like that, but it was, it ended up, or it was about, it was maybe three. So it ended up being, I, so I would drove out here every, every week for a, for a whole semester once, once on Mondays, and then had a couple of online classes to finish up as, as part of my program. And, um, yeah, first I thought I was actually going to have to, um, just press pause on seminary and just get a job in Columbus because, mm-hmm. and then, but um, Grace Pillars Church offered, a, and you know, they were saying if there's a, if you guys are thinking about coming back, we'd provide an internship opportunity for you. I switched my program to exegetical. I was already thinking about switching to, from pastoral studies to exegetical studies anyways, and, and that for, allowed for... For the listeners to, to more language work. Right, right. To right. what you were initially right. terrified of. You wanted more <laughs> true. of it. <laughs> that is true. It was amazing. Yeah, even how God had, I think, led in that time. It was, so for, it, even at the time, it was more focused Focus time in the text that I that I wanted, but then also allowed for independent studies that I would have been doing whether I was here. And I, I remember the meeting with you in your office at McLean, and you said providentially this is kind of a perfect spot for you to be able to do this. And um, so yeah, I think those, so those 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 end that that last half of seminary was marked by um, yeah just personal loss and struggle as Sarah and I continue to process that. Um, but at the same time the classes that I were was in was like, it was, you know, when someone's suffering, where do we tell them to go? We go to the scriptures and God is working through his word and through his mm-hmm. spirit and through his people mm-hmm. to testify to us. Not only were we involved in the local church and God's Holy Spirit was residing in us, but I just so happened to be in classes, you know, you know, just deep in the scripture. So when people talk about, you know, the academic side of seminary can dry up your spiritual life. For me in my moment of suffering, that's exactly what I needed. And it's exactly mm. what God used to continue to stir affections, to stir faithfulness, and for him to persevere me even um, through his word. Good stuff. That's great. Um, Zach, at any time, did you uh, weigh either in this uh, time of life with your father-in-law or even earlier in your studies, did you ever consider... Uh, the Master of Arts degree, uh, or was it was it uh, Dave Plaster's pressing for the MDiv that that really locked you in? I don't even know if I knew there was a Master of Arts degree. Quite <laughs> frankly, I think so. I, I maybe signed up without having thought about it. I just thought seminary <laughs> meant languages. Um, so yeah, I think the MDiv for me. It, I don't know if I really ever weighed the difference between an MDiv and an MA. I think it was just a go ahead and do it, and 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 I'm glad I did, and um, because. Again, it's one of those, where, where is the seminary well-suited to serve pastors and churches? Um, it's in stuff like the languages. And, you know, even even with all the helps that are out there with, you know, um, 
God rest, you know, or uh, rest in peace Bible words. I don't think, you know, that doesn't exist anymore. That's what we were trained under. Yeah. Or a Logos school. Or Logos, Logos, you know, Logos I yeah. use yes. now. Yeah. Um, so as much as there are great resources that are there, I remember, you know, just being told taking the classes makes those things come alive. So even what I use the languages for, and I, I still use the languages, I think on a, I, I'm, I'm dangerous enough, I think is what you might say, Dr. Harmon, <laughs> um, to get around. But it still is the kind of thing where even if I'm not doing all the, you know, the groundwork that I would have been doing in a, you know, a Greek exegesis class, it still is enough that I'm like, okay, I can understand when I click that on that on Logos that I understand how they got there or what's really going on there a little bit faster. Yeah. And it's really beneficial. So I'm thankful for the MDiv. It adds enough, I think, than the MA. And again, not to disparage the MA or anyone in it. Everybody has to make choices right for them. But I think if if people are able to, I would say do the MDiv. Because that is, you know, traditionally speaking, that was kind of the baseline for pastors anyways. And one of the things that I I get a little concerned about kind of in, you know, um, pastoral ministry in general is we're we're beginning, I think, at times to see formal theological education as a kind of the the cherry on top instead of the foundation of the cake. And I think there needs to be a little bit more meat and potatoes to mix metaphors there. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. We're all courses here, all courses. That's right. Um, But anyway, I think some of that robust theological discussion, even language discussion, that only helps pastors long-term. And especially if someone imagines a long-term teaching opportunity – then, and that's the if that's going to be the the steady um, uh, pattern of someone's ministry, then the MDiv makes just a lot of sense if people can do it. And the language aren't languages aren't as terrifying as I may have initially <laughs> yeah. thought. And, too. and we do teach them in a way that we want to bring students along right. with us. It's not a make or break moment, but we want we want to help students understand them, and that's part of the the heart uh, in the seminary for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, sure. Doc, I want to transition to get. Zach's uh, sports feelings. Yeah, let's get to the really important. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so a major part of the various and sundry podcast uh, is we talk about sports uh, mm-hmm. a lot. You're uh, a semi regular listener. Is that is that a fair? I, I would call myself a, a regular, regular listener. I, 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 I'm not. I haven't listened to every episode. I must admit, but okay. I, I am a regular listener to the various and sundry podcast. Okay, so and we ma- did get texted. I this, listened this morning this on my morning, way this morning with some, yeah. with some uh, critical Criti- feedback. Yeah, from our last. latest episode there. So. Um, so, uh, Zach, you know where we lie uh-huh. uh, sports-wise. I'm, I'm mostly New York. Doc's mostly Ohio. Uh, being in Columbus mm-hmm. and growing up in Ohio, are you mostly an Ohio sports fan? And where, yeah, where are those Ohi- allegiances? Yeah, Ohio sports were um, yeah are at the heart of it all. Um, I'm not as – I'm admittedly not as um, rabid as an Ohio State fan as some are, but certainly follow the team and root for the team. I'll accept um, that shade. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, uh, Buckeye football was kind of always the thing. Um, I grew up in the, you know, so in the late nine, mid to late nineties with the Cleveland Indians oh, being yeah. in there like world series, you know, so of course they never quite got that, but Omar Vizquel, Kenny Lofton, oh, yeah. um, Roberto, Roberto and Sandy Alomar, like those guys were like, you know, I had red cleats. I think like some of those guys, <laughs> I, so those that, to go, you know, the Indians sold out for so many years in a row. And I remember like just in a, as a middle or an elementary age kid getting tickets to sit in the nosebleed sections, like three rows from the top at what was then Jacobs Field was like the pinnacle of life as you could ever 
think about it. I remember being at a high school football game one time while the the Indians were in the World Series and they announced that Albert Bell had just hit a home run. Like kind of I mean so that was kind of the environment <laughs> yeah. that I grew up in with them. The Cavs were a big deal. You know, Mark, we had my brother had a um we had a um uh, a basketball hoop in the barn. Um, and uh, Mart Price, number twenty-five, was on the was on the backboard. A Cavs legend, yeah. exactly. Yeah. He just had a birthday, I think, actually this week. So, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so Ohio sports. Um, you know, I, I've always been just a miserable Browns fan. So I don't know if I actively okay. root okay. for the Browns, but it's one of those things where it's like it's kind of, you know it's part of the family. You just kind of have to. But we're we're taking this year as a, a step in the right direction, and who knows where things could be a little bit a little while from now. Uh, favorite favorite player growing up? Uh, who would you uh, who would you say you were? You idolize as a Omar child. Vizquel. Omar Vizquel. So the shortstop okay. for the Cleveland Indians. He, um, uh, yeah, he was my hero when it came to watching watching him making diving plays. You know, I, I I remember you know being in the yard with my dad and we'd be playing catch together, and I would just constantly say, "Make me dive, make me dive." <laughs> like I wanted. So you know, those were the kinds of things that I loved. I loved doing. And I played second base then, and as uh, um, throughout. My I never had a strong enough arm to get on the other side of the, the second <laughs> place, but, so but playing middle infield that was who I really wanted to emulate. But basketball was probably still my favorite sport, and um, but uh, Omar was was the was the guy for me. Now I I do have to say uh, that although we are in uh, in sync when it comes to our sports loyalties for the most part, there is one sports loyalty that you have that is just utterly befuddling to me. And that is that you are a Duke basketball fan. I have to qualify that a touch. <laughs> okay, so it would be the one, probably. I mean, obviously, as you know, the Ohio State thing you can't really say is a front runner thing if you're born into it, right? right. Okay, right. so, um, but Duke would probably be like the one. Um, ba- Duke basketball would be that one team that you're, you know, is is just. I'll admit is more of a front runner kind of thing, but okay. for some reason it's inherited as well. For some reason, my family had had enjoyed and loved Duke basketball. Okay. Um, I remember I had an aunt who lived in the Raleigh area for a long time, as well. So as a little kid, we walked, we just like walked into Cameron Indoor one time. Like I remember, this you know, is a, a different world. Man. Yeah. In <laughs> in well, uh, so as a little kid, I remember walking. We just walked into the middle of the court, just totally on our oh, own. Like goodness. someone walked wow. out, we walked in. It was like. It was, you know, like <laughs> we were walking into a high school gym somewhere. And then recently, um, we were in the Raleigh-Durham area a couple of years ago as well, and we were visiting the Duke campus, beautiful campus. And uh, it was um, myself, Sarah, her brother, Matt, and my son, Jake. This was a couple of years ago. So he was he was still pretty little. And we were outside in that lobby, and they have like a, a museum essentially in the lobby of all these jerseys and whatever. Well, this guy walks down the steps and he's about to walk out the door. Well, he turns around and we're kind of like peeking in the one area that we couldn't get in at the time. And he, he saw Jake, of course, and he says, oh, for the kid. We'll get you in there. <laughs> he was like a, a VP of marketing in the athletics the pro- program. Huh. He gave us, he goes, he goes, I'll give you five minutes. He gave us a half hour to oh, walk awesome. around the court. It was awesome. It, yeah. I mean, I wish I, you know, my son will never remember that story, but it was so cool to be. He, yeah. he took us around and all that. They were setting up for their end of year banquet that year as well. So that was that was really cool, especially something I had done as a little kid, and then to be able to do it as an adult sure. um, was pretty neat. But I would still say I'm primarily a Buckeye fan. Um, even with basketball, yeah. Well, uh, I, I do have. I, I can. I can testify that you are raising your son mm-hmm. properly. Uh, one of my favorite uh, <laughs> stories on on that front is this would have been um, 
two falls ago. So two football seasons ago. It would have been the fall of 2019, I guess it would have been, I think. Um, when uh, we were visiting, I was doing something at Grace Polaris, mm-hmm. I think, either preaching or doing something. And uh, you managed to secure some Ohio State football That's tickets right. for myself <laughs> and my youngest son, Jake. So, uh, who, by the way, uh, your your son, Jake, yep. thinks Big Jake. Affectionately is, called Big Jake. Yeah, yeah. Is, <laughs> is, is like the, the greatest thing ever, which is fun to watch. But anyway, you had a golf commitment because uh, we already mentioned that you're a, a golf coach. A former golf coach. Okay. I, I've oh, recently retired. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, maybe sad. we'll circle back yeah. to that. But um, – the uh, so you had gotten us tickets, and so we decided to go to the Skull Session, mm-hmm. which is a performance that the Ohio State Band puts on in uh, Old St. John's Arena, which it's is the old basketball arena on campus. Big pep rally a couple hours yeah. before the game. Yeah, and you know the, the team comes in, and the coach usually speaks and mm-hmm. fires up the crowd and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Well, so we only had tickets for myself for the game mm-hmm. for myself and my son Jake, mm-hmm. but my wife was with us, your wife Sarah. And Jake was with us as well. And um, so we go to the skull session, and then we're walking out. And so my son Jake and I are walking towards the stadium. And it's it's at that point that your son Jake realizes, I'm not going to the football (laughs) game with those guys. And he proceeds to understandably meltdown. (laughs) (laughs) I think your wife has called that maybe our worst parenting moment. Well, (laughs) no. I mean, so my my wife had to help your wife Mm -hmm. get Jake back to the car because Mm -hmm. it was like a, you know, like a 15 or 20 minute walk back to where we had parked. And just to see the look on his face, like, (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) I'm not going into the football game with big Jake? It was, uh, it, it was evidence to me that you had actually raised him right. That was actually a positive, a positive thing, thing. thing yeah. in my mind because he was, ki- he was so upset he couldn't actually yeah. go to see the football game. Our kids are certainly Buckeye fans. They send, sing the fight song regularly. Are the Buckeyes playing? We just watch the – you know, it's, we're getting to that age or that stage of life right now too where he'll, he'll sit and watch games with me and stuff like that. So we're yeah. having a lot of fun. I'm yeah, excited for March Madness, yeah. Lord willing, to happen this year. Yes, um, yes. And uh, um, we'll watch a lot of sports together, I'm sure. So we should probably circle back to the fact that we have a a state championship winning. Yeah, we didn't put that on the rundown. Golf coach of, uh, in our presence here. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. So um, yeah, I co- so I coached golf actually for nine years. wasn't much of a player. You know, anyone, especially who knows me from Grace days, would know. <laughs> I don't think Hess could play golf. Um, but I, you know, enjoyed it enough. And I, when we were, when we moved back to Columbus, the middle school job was open at Worthington Christian. Um, that's affiliated with our school or with our church. And my wife is a graduate and brother-in-law is a graduate from there. And um, so the middle school golf job was open. I'm like, I like golf. I like kids teaching etiquette and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so started in on that. Well, my second year, I had this group of kids come in and combine with another couple of kids who were just really, really good. And, um, uh, several of them are playing college golf, one here at Grace College uh, as well. And um, just as those guys continue to develop and get better, um, you know, in 2017, uh, we won the Division III um, state championship in Ohio as a team. And it was just, you know, so it was my first year actually as the varsity coach. So I'd been, I was the middle school coach, JV coach, and then became the varsity coach that year. And uh, they, it was awesome. I mean, it was really, really cool. Then the following year, um, had an individual state champion who is um, 
uh, he, you know, he just played a phenomenal round. We missed going to state by one stroke mm. that year. So our chance to repeat, which would have been um, an extremely you know good opportunity, we missed it just by one stroke. Uh. And uh, so, um, yeah, but this last year I finally, finally wrapped that up, um, uh, but had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, um, but yeah, it was a fun way for me. I always wanted to coach. My dad, um, uh, has been a basketball coach for, I think 30 years or so now my brother's coached. So to be able to coach golf was a way of exercising. I think, uh, something that I loved doing and, um, and all that, but, and recently coached my son's kindergarten and first grade basketball team this, <laughs> this winter as well, which is very different than coaching anything. Yes. Uh, for sure. But yeah, coaching is a lot of fun. Yeah, you will you will look back fondly on those memories mm-hmm. as as you get older. Like I look back and and think about uh, the opportunities I had to coach my own kids yeah. in in basketball, and those were some of the best memories mm-hmm. that I had with them. And and not even so much about the performance yeah. on on the on the floor, but just the time you get to mm-hmm. spend in that kind of environment right. from practices and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and being able to teach some life lessons. Right. To not just your own kid, right. but other kids at that age as well. And I think for me, I look at my job as a training pastor, as a coach. You know, so it's what I get to do, whether it's with pastoral interns, and it's so a lot of the discussions that we're having are, in one level, a coaching opportunity. So it's you go do that, you know, to teach a lesson or to think through a case study, and then I'm I want to help help you think through ways to do that. Um, one of the fun parts for me is actually seeing, you know, guys in ministry be successful and faithful in ways that I, I'm, I'm sitting back watching them do it. But um, part of, I know, is, part of what I get to do is is be part of their success, I hope, or, or for believers, you know, in our church, um, faithful people who are serving in, in places to resource them. I think as a coach is kind of how I've tried to model my ministry. And then even, you know, when I was, you know, when I was coaching, you know, those are opportunities to, to speak directly into a, a kid's life mm-hmm. um, that you don't always have the opportunity for it, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. It might be more of a finger in a chest opportunity, but then, you know, not long later, it's the arm around the shoulder aspect. And uh, yeah. you know, those those kids, those teenagers that I um, coached, those were, you know, I always looked at them as more like little brothers to me and really grateful for those opportunities. But I think coaching is a really good model for what ministry is supposed to be about as well. You know, in Ephesians 4, when Paul says um, that he's given, uh, you know, apostles, prophets, teachers and shepherds, pastors, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You know, in, in a modern, you know, translation, we might say coach them, you know, to mm-hmm. so that they're successful in the ministry that God has called them to. And so I, I think, you know, that blend for me in that world is is really important, a good, you know, a good picture of what I try to do with what I, in my in my job. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, I will often encourage uh, seminary students and, and biblical studies students that if you want to get a taste of what ministry is like, consider coaching. If you have any yeah. sort of connection with yeah. a sport uh, where you can get involved, because ultimately what one of the dynamics that I think comes out is when you're a coach, you realize you have to learn what motivates different players, different athletes. Mm-hmm. So with some guys, they are they aren't motivated unless you kind of get in their face and really right. get after them. Mm-hmm. But if you try that approach with another mm-hmm. player or athlete, that might just shut them down entirely. Right. So even just learning that dynamic uh, that transfers over to ministry mm-hmm. of some people need a little bit firmer confrontational style sure. to get them motivated mm-hmm. to grow or to develop. 
and others need a much more um, arm alongside of them right. encouragement kind of approach as well. So mm-hmm. I think uh, coaching can definitely uh, teach you that broader range of mm-hmm. of of ability to connect with different types of people right. and learn how to motivate them. And I think sometimes we just need more feedback. You know, it's like how often in our Christian life do we ask people for feedback? Hey, how 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 could you, you know, to ask a trusted friend or mentor, what areas of growth do you think I can have? And as younger pastors and you know what I would say to seminary students, you know, I think every seminary student upon graduation and John, I'm sure you and I felt this too. We all thought, okay, now that I've graduated, I can go change the world, you know, and that, <laughs> and that I have everything that I possibly need to be the next, you know, you know, famous, whatever. Yeah. And it's like, you know, so, you know, rarely is, is the case that we're able to, um, to get good, good critical feedback mm-hmm. for how can I teach better? How can I communicate better? How can I, you know, lead a little bit better? And sometimes, you know, in in ministry situations, where we only depending on your church situation, um, you know, the only critical feedback you have is some negative comment card from someone, you know, from <laughs> someone in the pew. And it's like what we need is actually ministry coaches and friends yeah. to, to be able to do some of that for us. I, I'm thankful just to be on a staff where I, I'm able to receive, cre- receive I think, um, feedback that's a that's meant for my good. And I have to right. accept it as meant for my good. But a lot of times I think guys are in situations where they're actually, they're not being coached sure. in ministry. And even, you know, so there's a ongoing development that we need, but then as you're, you're right to, you know, how can it, how can you, you know, Rather than seeing yourself as the pastor, as like the Bible answer man, or the you know I'm just here to answer all of your issues. They're like, now how do I come alongside so that I'm equipping that person yeah. to live the faith, live a faithful Christian life um, in a way that is uh, like like a coach, pointing out things of feedback, encouraging them where they need it, um, and then especially being that resource so that they can be successful. Yeah. Well, this is the uh, the Grace Story podcast, but is it is the Various and Sundry Takeover Edition. That's and right. One of the things that we do on the Various and Sundry podcast is uh, we name episodes in part after an athlete based mm-hmm. on the episode number. And we did not talk about this. We did not talk about in this. Advance. I'm, I'm this... so curious as to where you're going right <laughs> and, now. And yeah. there's, there's not an episode number attached to this necessarily. So uh, I'm I'm going to propose that that we. Uh, that we named this the the Omar Vizquel. I like that episode. Okay. I like now, that a lot. What um what number did he was number thirteen? I believe. Okay. I um, yeah number thirteen. And he played in the ninety late late nineties into the two thousands. Uh yeah a little bit. So he he didn't finish his career with the Indians, but he spent the bulk bulk of his career with the Indians. I think he's managing now somewhere. He was with Detroit for a little while. So okay. I've not followed him you know sure. his career forever. But um but yeah late he was part of those really successful. Cleveland Indians teams in the late 90, in the mid to late nineties. Gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha. One other thing we do on the Various and Sundry podcast is we like to mention at the end of an episode one thing that yeah. we liked from that particular week, and it can be anything. Mm-hmm. It could be a meal. It could mm-hmm. be a podcast. It could be a television show. It could be a book. It could be an experience. And so I know I didn't prep you for this. Mm-hmm. But I was um, th- I was wondering if you were going to do it. So I, I actually on the drive okay. out here today. I'm like, okay. I need to be prepared for something. Yeah, for sure. yeah, that, that that's good. That's good. So um, I think, in fairness, we should probably all share a mm-hmm. one thing. Sure. Liked. Yeah. So um, if you have one ready, you, mm-hmm. you you can go ahead and get started. So I uh, um, 
just on Monday turned in my uh, last assignment for another program that I'm in right now. And that felt like going back to undergrad days of like, you know, <laughs> the end of the semester and like, oh, I can breathe. You know, again, I know my wife was happy to, <laughs> for me to be done with this class. But read, um, a, 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 so the one thing I liked, would, it's over the course of the last couple of months, but it's a book on the Holy Spirit by um, uh, Andreas Kostenberger and Greg Allison. Um, titled the Holy Spirit, so it's it's new out in 2020. Um, but the first half of the book is um, uh, Dr. Kostenberger going through essentially every reference to the Holy Spirit in the Bible. So a kind of a biblical um, look at the the doctrine of the Holy Spirit from just every biblical text. And then Greg Allison on the second half of the book kind of deals with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit from a systematic um, theology idea. So this is you know for pastors especially, I think, sure. who are interested in like a one-stop shop, I think, on the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Um, Kostenberger and Allison's book, The Holy Spirit, is an excellent resource, mm. so I've been recommending it quite a bit okay. recently. John, do you have one? Yeah, mine's going to be far less uh, less spiritual. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but today, uh, for my beloved New York Mets, pitchers and catchers reported. Uh, we're sitting here right in the middle of February, so... Uh, spring training has officially begun uh, for my baseball team. So very excited uh, about that. Okay. All right. So uh, I'm going to go with a book that I am reading. Uh, Occasionally I like to read, actually more than occasionally, I like to read uh, classics because I didn't necessarily read a lot of classic literature during my uh, high school years. And my wife is a uh, an English and literature teacher at uh, at Lakeland Christian Academy, a local uh, Christian high school uh, in the area. And so um, I had been on a bit of a kick reading some John Steinbeck. I think I've mentioned that on the Various and Sundry podcast. But my wife has been after me to read Jane Eyre. So have either of you read Jane Eyre? I have not read. No. Okay. Eyre. We're I, still learning. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. always the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I've, I've been enjoying that, and uh, I'm about two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through. Okay. So hmm. um, a lot of uh, a lot of interesting um, history woven into it and um, and even just some some great themes of, you know, Biblical fidelity and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So it's 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 been it's it's been good. It it, it hasn't risen to the level of uh, some of my affection for uh, like East of Eden hmm. uh, by Steinbeck and uh, and that sort of thing, but still a very good a very good read. So, all right. So, I, 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 are, are we ready to uh, to hit to hit the mission accomplished button here, John? I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, we have talked about our good friend. Zach Hess, his ministry background, his background here at Grace College Theological Seminary. We've talked about his uh, inexplicable love for Duke basketball. <laughs> yep, uh, that's a little strong. Okay, we we have <laughs> talked about uh, his his life lessons from seminary, some of the things that the Lord has taken him through mm-hmm. in in preparing for uh, his his current ministry at Grace Polaris. We've talked about his love for Omar Vizquel. Omar Vizquel, mm-hmm. yeah, yes, and. Um, we have talked as well about a book I'm reading, a book you're reading, and your beloved Spring Mets. Training. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think by definition we have covered our various and sundry topics. Would you say? I agree. Yes. Yeah. So uh, we appreciate your uh, your listening to us on this uh, takeover edition of the Grace Story Podcast. If you would like to uh, find out more about the Various and Sundry Podcast, you can find us on the podcast app for Apple. Mm -hmm. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. 
as well. YouTube, Amazon, really anywhere you get podcasts. Pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. So we'd love for you to check that out. And so I think at this point, all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless you all real good. Later. Later.